All right, Kia ora, Summit Church. How you doing? Does that still feel weird? Summit Church? You've just slipped in or you were getting kids organised and you've only just come in and you weren't here last Sunday, then you might have missed the news unless you grabbed the news as you walked in today that we have changed our name and we are now Summit Church. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. And thank you for the feedback uh, this week. Had a few people just let me know that they're excited and pumped about where we're going as a church and what we're doing. So if you weren't here last Sunday, really strongly encourage you to jump online and watch or listen to uh, the Vision Sunday message from last week because I only did two things really last week and one of those things was to talk about the new name and introduce it and explain our, our thinking behind it and why we've called ourselves Summit Church. So if you missed that, make sure you jump online this week and listen to that or watch that and kind of... and get with what we're trying to do here. The second thing I talked about last week and where we're going to, kind of going to go in the next couple of months is I introduced a new discipleship strategy that we're calling Summit Journey. And it's the idea that, that life is a journey and uh, the invitation of God is that we would become more and more like Jesus. And so Summit Journey is our new discipleship, discipleship strategy. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus. So if you've committed your life to Jesus, if you've put your trust in him, then you're a disciple, you're a follower. But the idea is that as his followers and as his disciples, we are meant to grow in our walk and in our journey with him. And so we are, um, talked a little bit last week about this new strategy that we've devised called Summit Journey, which is your discipleship adventure. And what we want to do over these next couple of months is actually unpack that a little bit and really help us understand each key component of this strategy. And then we're going to invite you to kind of make a plan to grow and, and so on. So it's pretty exciting. Um, and it's really what we want to invite you into is the sense of adventure, that God has a plan for you that wasn't just about saving you from your sins, but it's actually bigger than that. And he has an adventure for you in store that we hope you'll enjoy. It's actually not meant to be sound for the first half, and it's meant to start about now. <laughs> See? That was good timing. 
there we go. That was the bit we were meant to get to. And the first half was actually meant to be quiet, so that's okay. God has an adventure for you and I that's far bigger than going with a bunch of dwarves to go fight trolls and orcs and whatever else they did. And this isn't now working. Emmanuel, can you go to the next slide for me, please, mate? Thank you. Um, he has a, an adventure that's a discipleship adventure, that it's about us becoming more and more like Jesus. But as I said last week, it's one thing to understand that God wants us to grow. It's another thing to actually live a life in which there is intentional growth happening as a regular part of that journey and that adventure with God. And I gave this quote last week from Ed Setzer, who's a key uh, church leader in the States, who says, God wants us to grow, but without a plan, growth will remain an aspiration instead of a reality. And so the key question we're asking with this whole discipleship strategy is, how am I planning to intentionally become more like Jesus this year? And that's the key question I want us to be thinking about and asking ourselves and praying about, uh, especially in these next couple of months, but really through this year and beyond. How am I planning to intentionally become more like Jesus this year? How am I intentionally planning to make sure that by the end of 2019, I've been on this adventure with God where I'm a little bit more like Jesus than I was at the start of this year? How am I going to do that? And what we're introducing is this strategy that has four parts to it, four key questions. Why do I want to grow with my walk with God? Uh, where do I need to grow in my life, in my walk with Him? Uh, who am I going to journey with as I go after that? And then how will I do that? And so today, I want to begin unpacking these four questions, these, this plan, and at the end of this process, which is going to take, a, take us a couple of months, the invitation is going to be for you to have a, a tailor-made plan that you're going to try and follow this year in terms of becoming more and more like Jesus. So we're going to begin today by unpacking that first question, the why, because it's incredibly important that we answer this question first. Um, in an original early draft of this strategy that I was devising, that I took to the elders, the why was actually the fourth question. It was kind of like, put a plan together and then make sure your, your motivation's right. And the elders um, lovingly challenged that and said, you know what? The why needs to come first. We've got to figure out the why. We've got to get our motivation and our heart right before we start planning anything else. And so we switched it and turned it on its head a little bit. And so today we want to go after the why. Um, because as far as God's concerned, where our heart is in any activity of life is actually incredibly important. Because we could have a cool plan to really grow to be more like Jesus and we could be working hard in our lives. We could be doing a whole lot of activity in our lives but if our heart isn't in the right place, then actually God isn't that interested in that. And that's always been the case. All the way through the Bible, and this is just one example from the book of Isaiah, God would challenge his people about the fact that their heart needed to be in the right place. So he said to the people of Isaiah's day, you know, stop bringing your meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Your new moons and Sabbaths, I can't bear your worthless assemblies. They were doing good stuff. They were doing stuff that the law required them to do as the people of God, but their heart wasn't in it. And so God said to them, it's a waste of time. If, if your heart isn't in the right place, if you're not coming to me and doing the things I want you to do at a heart full of, of thanks and reverence and joy, then we're wasting our time. And so as we begin to unpack this, this strategy, this summit journey idea, um, this is where we want to begin today. We want to look at the heart. 
and think about what do we need to, to do in terms of making sure our motive to grow is, is the right one. And so we're starting with this question, why? Why do I want to grow in my walk with God? And what I want to argue for today is that the answer to the why should be what I'm calling gospel-driven growth. In other words, we should want to grow because of the gospel, because of the good news about Jesus. I love what um, New York pastor Tim Keller has written on this. He says, we never get beyond the gospel to something more advanced or more important. The gospel's not just the first step in a stairway. The gospel's the whole stairway. It's not just the ABCs, it's the A to Z of Christianity. And often we can do that. We can relegate this message of good news that even though we've sinned and we've rebelled against God and we go our own way, God loves us so much that he sent his son who lived the perfect life and died for our sins and rose again so that anyone who simply puts their faith in Jesus and gives up trying to fix their own life but just trusts in Jesus alone gets to have a relationship with God and their sins forgiven and adopted as a son or daughter and has hope for all of eternity. That's the good news. But the good news isn't just for people who have never trusted in Jesus before, and once you take that step and you trust in Jesus, then there's other stuff. The, the, the gospel is the heart and soul of a relationship with God. And you need the gospel just as much if you've been following Jesus for 50 years, you need the gospel just as much today as you did that very first day you trusted him. And it's the good news of what Jesus has done for us that is meant to drive our heart and our desire to grow and to become more and more like him. And so the answer I want to suggest to the why question, why do you want to grow? The answer is that because I want gospel-driven growth. I want to grow in response to what God has done for me in Christ. The gospel is the heart of transformational growth. What I want to suggest today is that if we have a plan to grow more as a follower of Jesus, that is not born out of the good news, then our growth isn't going to be the kind of growth that God wants to see in us. If our heart isn't in the right place, if our motivation isn't right, then any kind of whatever growth in our lives isn't actually worth it as far as God's concerned. He wants the heart to be right. And so that's the first part of the plan. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a, a little kind of guide for this series. We're still designing that at the moment, so we'll have it in a couple of weeks. But, but this is the first of the four key steps. And so the, the, the invitation today is to really think about the why we want to grow. And to do that, I want us to look at, at just one verse today in one of the letters that Paul wrote. It's in 2 Corinthians, which is one of the letters that he wrote to a church in Greece, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, you're welcome to turn there or pull it up on your app on your phone. I am going to throw it up on the screen today because it's only one verse, so if you'd rather just have a look at it on the screen as we go, that's fine as well. But in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is comparing the good news of what Jesus has come and done and offers us through his Spirit with what he calls the old covenant or the, the old way of relating to God in the Old Testament under the law of Moses. And he's doing this comparison between the old covenant and the new covenant, what he calls the way of the law 
This is the way of the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit now does in us. And he does this big comparison through this chapter. And he's comparing how incredible it is. And he's using a story in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus of when Moses would go and talk with God because the people were freaked out by how amazing God was. So Moses would talk to them as their representative. And he was so like changed and transformed by being in God's presence that every time he would come down from the Mount Sinai, having talked with God, his face would literally be glowing with God's glory until it kind of faded away. And what Paul does earlier in this chapter is he says, man, if that happened to Moses and the people of Israel could relate to God through him in this kind of partial way, how much more glorious is it for you and me who get to relate to God through the Holy Spirit? What we've got is so much better than what they had. And that's what he gets to as he comes to the end of this chapter. And he uses this idea of a veil that Moses had to cover his face with. I'm just going to read from verse 15. It's verse 18 that I really want to look at. But I want to read from verse 15 just to give us a little bit of context. Even to this day, he says, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. So he's using that imagery as though for people today, Jewish people who don't know Jesus, there's a veil across their hearts. Verse 16, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, though, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I want to unpack just that verse, because I think it helps us uh, look at this idea of growth centered in and flowing out of the good news. What I want to do today is I want to blow apart four myths about growing as a Christian. And I think in my time as a Christian, and I've been following Jesus a fair amount of time now, a few decades, I think I've fallen into each of these myths at different parts in my pilgrimage. And my hunch is that many of us buy into some of these ideas that are actually wrong or partially wrong, and it skews our heart and it gets our motivation wrong. So I want to talk about these four myths and I want to use this particular verse that Paul wrote to help us come back to the gospel and throw those myths away. The first myth is that growth is optional or elitist. I think the first myth that some of us can sometimes fall into is that the idea of growing as a Christian is, is something extra. It's kind of like it's bonus for the really good people. And so oftentimes, this is where we will go, you know what, God saved me, I've got a ticket to heaven, I'm good. And you know what, I understand that, that we should grow, but you know what, there's a lot of people sitting around me this morning who are way further than me, and, and they're kind of growing, and that's good for them, but it's not really for me. So part of this, sometimes we put this into elitist talk. Like there's, there's, there's the ordinary Christian like me, and then there's the super-Christians just along the road from me a little bit. You know, and it's awesome that they are just on fire for God and doing all kinds of stuff, but it's, that's not really who I am, and, 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 I'm, and I'm okay with that. And that's actually a myth, because the truth of the gospel is that growth is a normal part of every Christian's life. That what God is interested in doing is transforming every single one of his followers every single one of his sons and daughters. He wants to make all of us more like Jesus. He wants every single one of us to grow. The gospel is part 
of the Christian story and, uh, and, and growth is part of that gospel. It's about us becoming more like Jesus. I, uh, I call this myth the fire insurance myth because what happens is we develop this understanding that the good news about Jesus and trusting in Jesus, well, that's basically fire insurance because we've heard the message and this is, this is how I came to trust in Jesus. I grew up in church hearing that we're sinful and God judges us and hell is a scary place and you better trust in Jesus. And that's your fire insurance. And so, good night, I trusted in Jesus. Over a period of from about 9 or 10 years old through to about 15, I think I trusted in Jesus at least 68 times at different times in that journey because I was like, I want fire insurance. I do not. Hell sounds horrible. Heaven sounds slightly weird but better than hell. And so I want my sins forgiven and I'm trusting in Jesus. And, and that's not necessarily wrong, but it's not complete. That's not what, what the gospel is all about. It is about saving us from our sins. It is rescuing us from the righteous judgment of God on our rebellion and failure and sin. It is about giving us a hope of heaven forever and not, not going to hell and suffering the wrath of God. But it's more than that, so much more than that. And often what we do with the good news of Jesus is we go, it's about the past and my sins being forgiven, and it's about my future and spending eternity with God, but I'm not entirely sure what it's got to do with now, like the present. And what we've missed is a core part of the gospel. It is about our past and our future, but it's also about our present. And what the gospel is actually about is God accepting us in the mess of our lives and our sin. Accepting us just as we are, not because it's okay where we are in our mess, but because if we trust in Jesus, we get accepted because of the beauty of Jesus. But then it's about God not leaving us where we are and beginning this lifelong process of transforming and changing us so that we would become more and more like Jesus. See, that's what this verse is saying. In fact, the key part of 2 Corinthians 3.18 is what I've highlighted here in bold, in italics. We are being transformed into his image. That is a core part of this good news, that God accepts us as a, in his grace, welcomes us into his family, forgives our sin, adopts us as sons and daughters through what Jesus has done. But then he begins this process of making us more like Jesus and turning us into his image. Image is a key metaphor through the Bible story. You start at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis and you find that, that in creation, in the creation story, men and women were created in God's image. We were created to be like God. Human beings were designed to reflect God's character and who he is. And human beings are unique in all of creation and being image bearers. But then in the fall, when sin comes into the story, that image is defaced. It's like a mirror that has something thrown against it and it, and it breaks. The mirror's still there. There's shards of glass still there. You can still look into it and see a kind of reflection, but it's, it's broken. It's, it's not the perfect reflection it's meant to be. That's what's happened to us as human beings. And so uh, there's still this residue good in every person. There's still this image of God, this reflection, so that when someone who doesn't know God is loving or compassionate or creative, you, you get a glimpse of the image of God in every person. But in all of us, that's marred, it's broken, it's defaced because of our sin. Not erased, but defaced. 
But then in the story of the Bible comes Jesus. And at the incarnation, at Christmas, when we celebrate the coming of Jesus, the way the New Testament describes him is he is the image of the impersonal God, of the, of the, of the invisible God. Sorry, not impersonal, the invisible God. So Jesus is the perfect image bearer. What human beings were meant to be, Jesus as the perfect human is. He perfectly reflects the character of God. And so now, when we choose to trust in him and get adopted into God's family, so Jesus is now our big brother, we're being transformed into his image. So the more we are changed to become more like Jesus, the more we are being changed into who God originally designed us to be as humans. And that's part of the good news. It's not just fire insurance. It's not just getting us to heaven. It is that. But it's also the good news that God is at work in every single one of us. And notice that up on the second line, in bold italics, and we all are being transformed. It's every single one of us, if we're a follower of Christ, if we've trusted in Jesus, we're part of the all. It's not optional. It's not elitist. This is part of the good news for every single one of us. God wants us to become more like Jesus. And we should want to grow because that is the good news. I've been reading a, a beautiful book over the summer about this whole area called How to Grow, written by a pastor in America called Daryl Dash. I love what he writes here. So often, we think the Christian life is just about forgiveness of our sins, losing sight of God's plan to completely transform us. We settle, he says, for an impoverished vision of growth in one or two areas of life when God's desire is to reign over every part. He is not saying that we should be perfect in this life. He is not arguing that we should be changed until, man, we are just amazing. In fact, one of the things I liked about his book was it was really realistic and really gracious and talks about the fact that you know, we don't hit perfection until we hit heaven and that final part of transformation happens. But I think he's right. We, we have this impoverished vision of growth. God is at work in you already without you even realizing he is at work. And he is changing you already by his spirit more than you realize. And he wants us to cooperate with that deliberately so that we are in response to this good news. We are growing more and more. See, this is a key part of why we've been saved. Paul wrote very famous words, Romans 8.28 often misapplied, especially when people are in suffering, but a beautiful verse nonetheless. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What's his, his purpose? Well, verse 29 tells us, God, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, here it is, to be conformed to the image of his Son. See, the plan of God is to make you increasingly like Jesus as you walk with him through this life. 
until the day comes when you finally get taken home and that final part of your transformation is complete and you are perfectly like Jesus. Even as I say that, I can't actually imagine what that will look like. But that's the promise. It's not just fire insurance. We need to get away from the fire insurance myth. Growth is not just optional. Growth is not just for the elite SAS Christians. Every single one of us are invited on this journey of transformation. Myth number two, then, is kind of the other end of the spectrum. Myth number two is that growth will ensure God still loves me. So in one sense, that first myth, the fire insurance myth, is at one end of the spectrum where you just go, oh, growth isn't for me. I've got my fire insurance. I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm good. I'm just going to lay back and not care. The second myth is the other end of the spectrum where we go, oh my goodness, I'm just not sure God really loves me. I need to work harder to make sure I'm really growing so I can see stuff in my life that I can point to and I can really be sure that God really does love me. Because man, if I'm not performing, if I'm getting this wrong, then I don't feel very secure. And I start to question, gee, does God really love me? Am I even really a Christian? Have I done this right? Did I pray the prayer wrong? This myth is everywhere in the church. This is what I call the mouse wheel myth. It's that picture of a little mouse on the wheel who just runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. And for many people, that's exactly how the Christian life feels. It is a performance treadmill, and I just need to keep working as hard as I can because I'm dead scared that if I don't grow the way I think I'm meant to grow, God is going to throw me out the back door. And the people who buy into this myth, and there have been periods in my life where I have swallowed this myth or realized I've been thinking this way, the image of God that you have when you buy this myth looks like this. It's the image of a God standing over you with arms folded and a frown on his face and a And that is not the image of God for those who have trusted in Jesus. The image of God that we are presented in Christ because we are linked so tightly with Jesus when we trust him, the image of God as our Father now is this. Come. Come to me. You are deeply loved. And the problem with the mousetrap myth is that we want to grow, but we want to grow for completely the wrong reasons. Because we've missed the wonder and beauty at the heart of the good news, which is the grace of God. That he accepts us, but he doesn't accept us, he doesn't love us, he doesn't adopt us based on what we have done. He welcomes us and forgives us and loves us on the basis of Jesus. That's why the good news is a message of faith. When we simply say, oh, I'm going with Jesus, I'm accepting what he's done and I'm trusting in him and I'm hiding in him, it's, then it's the perfection of Jesus that makes us perfectly and fully accepted and loved by the Father. And that is meant to be the reason we grow. Growth is meant to be a response to his grace. 
not an attempt to earn his love in some weird way. And that's why Paul begins this key verse in 2 Corinthians 3, in, the, in verse 17, by saying where the Spirit of the Lord is, there, there, there's freedom. There is freedom from the need to feel like you've got to measure up and you've got to tick boxes, and, and if you've failed, then you're in big trouble. In fact, the beauty of this, going back to this comparison he's doing in this whole chapter, is we, he says, have an unveiled face who can contemplate the Lord's glory. See, in the comparison, he's pointing out that, that Jewish people weren't able to relate. They, they, they had to relate to God through Moses. But because we now relate to the Father through Jesus, we don't need a veil. We don't need another intermediary. We boldly walk straight into the presence of our Father whenever we choose. And we have this incredible access to Almighty God himself. A friend of mine was telling me this week a story about a family member of his who isn't a Christian. And this friend was, was talking, one of those moments where you can have a spiritual conversation, and, and he was talking about prayer and saying he would be praying for his family member who was going through something, but saying, hey, you can actually, you can just pray too. You can talk to God. And the family member who's been raised in a kind of religious background, but not, not the good news of Jesus, was saying, no, I can't. I need, I need other people to, like you to pray for me to God. I can't just pray to God. My friend is saying, you can. And this, this family member is saying, no, I can't. I mean... If I want to talk to Jacinda Ardern, I don't know her personally. She's not a family friend. So if I want to talk to her, I need to send an email and fill in an application and work through an aide who will go through an assistant or talk to the PA or will go through the chief of staff. I've got to jump through hoops if I want to speak to the Prime Minister. There's even more hoops because New Zealand's so cash. There's even more hoops if I want to go to the Queen or the President of the US or the Pope or something. Are you saying to me that if I want to talk to the God of the world, I can just bowl on in? And it made me realize how audacious the good news is. Forget Jacinda or Donald or Liz the second. Whenever I choose, I can come into the presence of the Almighty King of Kings in the name of Jesus and have full and complete access to the one who loves me as my dad. That is outstanding. And it's on the basis of that, Paul says, we should want to grow. Not to earn his love, not to feel like we're, we've got the right. We can just come. And so Paul says, we should grow because we're so blown away by his grace. That's what he wrote to, to Titus, one of the early church leaders he worked with. For the grace of God, he said, has appeared that offers salvation to all of us and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. What teaches us to say no to what's wrong and say yes to what's right? Grace. Grace teaches us to do that. That's what he's saying. We should want to do what's right. We should long to, to work against the things that's wrong in our lives, not to earn God's love, but out of this this heart-filled gratitude for what he's done for us in Jesus. That's myth number two. That's the, the mouse wheel myth. Myth number three. 
is that growth is simply about behavior modification. Growth is simply about changing what I do and working harder to change my behavior. This is the the self-help myth. This is the essence of the self-help industry that generates thousands upon thousands of books and podcasts and TV shows, and it's launched careers of people like Oprah and Dr. Phil and and goodness knows who else. I don't even stay current with it because I'm bored with it. But the myth is that you can change, that you can change your behavior, and if you just work hard enough and are disciplined enough and say the right things to yourself and repeat the correct mantra and read the right book and watch the right personality, you can change your behavior. And the very fact that there are thousands more books and ideas and key guys coming out with more stuff about this, I think, shows that it's bankrupt. Because we wouldn't need more books on this if it really worked. But here's the big problem with the self-help myth. It's not about simply changing your behavior. I mean, anyone can do that. Anyone can, can try and find some discipline and, and, and say the right things and look at themselves in the mirror each morning and make some, some surface-level change to what they do. What the Bible says real growth is, is inner transformation. It's about changing us from the inside out in a way that only God himself can do through his Holy Spirit. That's real change. God is not interested in simply modifying our behavior. God is interested in changing our hearts so that over time our behavior flows out of a heart that has been renewed and changed by his spirit. Growth is not about behavior modification. It is about inner transformation through his spirit. And again, this is what Paul says. We are being transformed into his image, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is such a key part of the good news. God only, hasn't only uh, forgiven us and changed us and adopted us as his Father. He hasn't only given us a hope that lasts forever and ever. He's promised to change us and transform us to become more like Jesus, but he hasn't left us alone to do that. He's come to reside in us to recreate us from the inside out through his spirit, to change us, to put a new heart in us, to actually change the motivations and grow us from the inside out. Again, Daryl Dash writes this, frustrated by your lack of progress? Hear this. God is at work in your life. He promises his power. He's changing you from the inside out, and he always finishes what he starts. I sit down sometimes and talk to people in our church and outside it who are frustrated by their, their struggle with, with anger. And it just feels like they can never get past these bursts of anger they have. Or they They think they've defeated this dependency on alcohol. And then they just fall back into it in a moment of weakness. Or they've had this struggle that feels like for so many years with pornography. And it so weighs you down that you just 
you almost feel like giving up. Or you know you need to deal with the issue of gossip in your life. And for seasons, it seems to go okay, and then you just slip straight back into it. And I've talked to so many people who battle with sin in our lives and are down because we haven't won the battle. And often, often, not always, but often, part of the problem is that we're bought into the myth of behavior modification. What we're down about is that our behavior hasn't changed. And there's two problems with it. One is that we haven't understood that transformation is a lifelong journey with God. What we want God to do is zap us. And if God would just zap me and take that away, wouldn't that be awesome, by the way? I mean, good night, that would be fab. But that isn't how God operates. God is not in the process of zapping instantaneous change. God is in the process of transforming from the inside out by his spirit day after day and week after week and year after year. But hear this. The very fact that you are immensely frustrated in your struggle with sin, if that is you, that means God is at work in your inner being and he is changing your heart. You're frustrated that your behavior hasn't yet changed. In fact, you should be encouraged that you are more frustrated by your gossip or your anger or your porn or your alcohol or whatever it is. You're more frustrated by that now than you've ever been. And I would say to you, God is at work. Daryl Dash is right. The behavior isn't changing yet, but what God is doing is transforming your heart. And at some point, the behavior is going to catch up because it's going to flow out of a heart that he is changing by his spirit. So don't give up. Keep walking with him. Because he's doing something far deeper and more profound in you than you realize. So don't buy the myth of behavior modification, the self-help myth. Finally then, the fourth myth is that growth is about becoming the best me I can be. This is the consumer myth. The consumer mentality is, says it's all about me. It's all about my life and my happiness and being the best me. And so this is a very subtle myth. But we can easily buy into it. And to be honest, preachers, we play a part in this. Because we talk about all the reasons why we should obey God. And we actually make it a very self-driven journey that it's all about you feeling good about yourself and having a great life because you're allowing God to transform your life and it's, there's all these benefits and we, we tie it back into the self-centeredness, self-driven thing when that's the very heart of our sin problem in the first place that we actually need to escape from. There are benefits in growing and becoming more like Jesus. It does profoundly improve all of our relationships and how life generally functions. But the ultimate reason for wanting to grow and become more like Jesus and cooperate with God's Spirit in that journey is not about you. It's about Him. Because the gospel at its heart is about honoring and glorying God. That's why we were created. To honor Him. And to glorify Him. 
And sin has come in and made us the focus of everything we do. And if we decide we really want to grow this year in whatever particular area we feel challenged to do that, and if we want to do that for the reason of being better people and feeling better about ourselves, and that's the key reason, then our motive is wrong and our heart is stuffed. And who cares how we grow? Because ultimately we should want to grow. Because God's worthy of it. And when we become more like Jesus... In the words of C.S. Lewis, more and more little Christs are running around the planet. And the more and more that happens, the more that God is glorified. See, again, that's what Paul said. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. The more we gaze on God, the more we contemplate his glory, the more we talk with God face to face, the more consumed we are with God, the more we're transformed in a way that glorifies him with ever-increasing glory. That's the goal. And that should be the motive as we grow. Growth is a key way of honouring the God who has saved us in his grace. Not about making ourselves feel better about ourselves. See, it's the gospel it's this good news of grace. It's what we've celebrated this morning as we took communion together. It's about what Jesus offers us. It's about what his spirit is doing in us. It's about this beautiful grace he's given us. That's why we grow. That's why we want to become more like Jesus. That's why we want to take this journey together this year and every year to come and become more and more like him. So as we finish this morning, I want you to just take a minute and look at those four myths. Because ultimately the gospel speaks against each of them. Why do you want to grow in your walk with God? The answer should be, I want to grow. Because I want to become like Christ in response to his grace through the power of his spirit for the glory of God. That's why I want to grow. And that undercuts every myth we can believe. So my question this morning as we finish is which myth, or myths, plural, do you sense you've bought into? What are some of the myths that may be stopping you from really growing for the right reason with the right heart? And all I simply want to do today is invite you to bring that to God and ask God through the Spirit who lives in you if you're his follower to change that, to help you to have a different heart and have the right motive to grow. So I'm just going to give you a few seconds right now with that list up there to just talk with him, and then I'm going to pray. Our Father, we, we are in awe that we even get to do this.
boldly come into the presence of the King of Kings and dare to address you and then have the privilege of calling you our Father. Thank you for that privilege. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have accomplished in your incarnation and your life and your death and your resurrection and even your current ministry right now being our advocate at the Father's right hand. Thank you that all that you accomplish in your life on this earth gives us this amazing relationship we have. And Holy Spirit, we want to thank you that as God, you are in us, every single one of us that have trusted in you. And you are already at work changing us and transforming us in ways we haven't even noticed yet or comprehended. Thank you for what you're doing. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this good news, this gospel. Help us to appreciate again that we can never outrun it and that it is not just for the beginning of this journey, but it powers every day of our pilgrimage with you. Help it to challenge the myths we believe about growth. Help us to long more and more to become more like Jesus. And help us to do that driven by this gospel that so changes us. We pray that you would help us on this journey this year. Every single one of us to become more and more like Jesus. For your glory, Lord. Amen.